today is the final message in our short teaching series exploring from the life of Caleb what it means to be people of a different spirit. I sense we've got some like that here this morning, amen? People of faith who thus have a different heart attitude. As Hugh and Al have shared over the past couple of weeks, in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, we have the account of when God's people Israel were close to inheriting God's promise of the land of Canaan. But 10 of the 12 tribal leaders who had spied out the land spread a negative report among God's people. And the pe that the people living there were giants and too strong for them to conquer. Caleb, however, insisted that they could and should take possession of what God had promised. But the people turned against him and Joshua and threatened to stone them. And although in response to Moses appealing to the Lord, God forgave the people for their contempt of him, God vowed that, reading from Numbers 14 now and verse 23, no one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. In the past two weeks, we've considered two distinctive characteristics of people with a different spirit. Namely, that they have a different perspective. Their focus is different. Their lives and outlook are shaped by the promises of God and not by the pleasures of the world or the pressures of life. And another characteristic of people of a different spirit that Al spoke on last week is their passion. They are fervent for God in their devotion to Him and His purposes. And today, we're going to consider a third characteristic, namely that such people are uh, people who persevere in faith through life's challenges. They are of the kind of people that Paul speaks of in Romans 12 when he urges all believers uh, that we should be people who don't lack in zeal for God, but who maintain our spiritual fervor and continue to serve the Lord regardless of what we encounter in this life. Such people don't just begin their Christian life well, but like the heroes of faith that are listed in Hebrews 11, they run their race with perseverance to the finish. In the words of Paul in Philippians 3 verse 14, such people press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called them heavenwards in Christ Jesus. They're the kind of people that we were making the faith declaration in that song earlier, who stand, and having done all, to stand with arms high and lifted up, exalting the Lord. For several years, my wife Dorothy and I ministered regularly at church leaders' conferences in Kenya, where we would seek to encourage them to persevere. And in the Swahili Bible, it's translated as to keep on keeping on. To persevere is to steadily keep on going, not wavering, nor refusing to give up, no matter what comes your way. It's to persist, 
despite difficulties or opposition. Are there any Bear Grylls fans here? Because he speaks of the never give up spirit. That's a bit like what we're talking about. Although we don't have any personal information specifically relating to Caleb during the 40 years which he was forced to wander in the wilderness with his fellow complaining Israelites, we do know enough to recognize that he is a great example of someone who must have persevered in his trust of God throughout his long life. For 85 years of age, he was still trusting God to fulfill his promises. He believed, like we sung this morning, that God is a promise keeper and a miracle worker. And like you, however, Caleb would undoubtedly have experienced many challenges in his life as he pressed on in faith to lay hold of the promises, not only to him personally, but to them corporately. We currently are experiencing rising food and energy prices. But let's never forget that Caleb had to trust God for 40 years for his provision of food to eat. Sorry, there were no prawn sandwiches or club sandwiches for him. There he had to trust God whilst living in a community of negative people in the hostile Sinai wilderness whilst one after the other of his contemporaries all died. But he persevered through all the challenges which he experienced. So let's consider some of the challenges which Caleb had to persevere through, which I would like to suggest we too will face. Firstly, disappointments. As one of the leaders who had spied out the land of Canaan, Caleb had experienced at first hand God's promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. But then he had to face the immense disappointment of a delay of over 40 years through no fault of his own due to the failings of other people before he could inherit what God had promised. The Bible is very clear that as Christian believers, God doesn't intend us to live by our physical senses alone. That is, by what we see with our physical eyes or certainly not by everything we hear from the world's media. We're to live by what God says and especially by every rhema word, that's every specific word which God speaks to us. And I've no doubt that he has spoken some specific words to some of you concerning things that he's called you to do in his purposes which have not yet come to pass in the way that you expected. And I want to urge you this morning, encourage you, don't let disappointment hinder you from continuing to persevere in believing that the Lord will yet do what he has promised because he is a way maker and a miracle worker. And in the meantime, whilst you're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, in whatever ways you can, serve into Redeemer's vision and to laying hold of the prophesied promises of God which were shared, some of which were shared a couple of weeks ago by Hugh. We're not just saved by faith, you see. We're to live by faith in God and in his promises. But living by faith, trusting in the Lord, will necessitate us having to patiently persevere. Hebrews 6 verse 12 tells us that we inherit, we take possession of what God promises to us through faith and perseverance. 
the Amplified Bible says that it's through faith and patient endurance that we inherit God's promises. To endure is more than to exercise mere patience, I would suggest. It's to stand firm and persevere under pressure. It involves bearing up against adversity and to hold out under stress. Jesus himself warned us as his followers, in this world you will experience trouble. As believers, we are, with the Holy Spirit's help, to persevere through life's trials, including disappointments. In the Christian life, friends, you will experience the disappointment of things not turning out the way you had hoped or expected. And you may well experience people who you thought were friends, who you could count on, who then go and let you down. And at such times, in the words of Hebrews 12.1, the New King James Version, we must choose to lay aside everything that would hinder us from persevering on the course of the Christian journey which the Lord has marked out for each of us. Paul says in Philippians 3, one thing I do is I forget what is behind. He put it behind him and I press on to what is ahead. Now, this might well involve you needing to forgive others who have disappointed you. And for you to seek to, to do all you can to be reconciled with them so that you avoid being, as it were, tripped up and falling out of what is depicted in Hebrews 12 as like a race. You have to press on, to persevere in the knowledge that perseverance is good for us. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, perseverance is good for you. Now let me give you the answer why it's good for you. Because we're told in Romans 5, 4, it produces godly character. You want to be more like Jesus? Then we have to persevere. It's not good theology always to pray all the difficulties away, friends. You need to pray that God will take you through the difficulties. And you know, you don't have a testimony without going through a test. Now another challenge which I've already alluded to, is that Caleb experienced a seriously long delay in God's promises to him being fulfilled. You've worked out already, they all begin with D this morning. Delays in the fulfillment of God's promises can generally be due to one or a combination of three reasons. One, we ourselves or other people, as was the case for Caleb, can be the cause of delays. Two, Satan can be the cause of delays. For example, we read in 1 Thessalonians 2 how Satan had hindered God's work and prevented Paul from visiting the church in Thessalonica. Sometimes, however, thirdly, God orchestrates a delay for reasons unbeknown to us, such as in Acts 16, when Paul and his companions were prevented from preaching the gospel in Asia Minor. Notwithstanding the cause of a delay, we can be assured, however, that as with the birth of Jesus, that when the time has fully come, as it's expressed in Galatians 4, when the time is exactly right, the Lord will fulfill his promises. He is never late, but I've experienced, in my experience, he's never early either in fulfilling his promises. And I have to be, I admit to you that during the time of waiting, it can feel like he's late sometimes. But he does that to strengthen your faith and to trust in him. And so that you don't get any of the glory of it either. Remember, at such times, it's through faith and patience, perseverance, 
patient perseverance that we inherit, depends which verse of the Bible you use, say, that we inherit God's promises. And so when experiencing delay in the fulfillment of a promise God has made to you, then like Caleb, keep trusting the Lord and press on on the pathway that the Lord has marked out for you. Thirdly, doubts. When there's a time delay, as there usually is, between God making a promise to you and when it comes to pass, then there's the potential for you to start to doubt whether it will ever happen. Like us, Caleb, being human, must have had days when he had doubts about what God had promised and whether it would ever come to pass. And at such times, he, like us, would have had to overcome the doubts by dwelling on what God had said and not on his circumstances. When God has spoken to you, friends, then like Caleb, you have to, and you've received it by faith, and it's taken root in your heart, you will experience a battle in your mind filled by the contrary circumstances you are in. And at such times, we have to renew our mind to take our negative thoughts captive, to bring them in line with what we know in our heart God has already said. Hmm. Not so many amens to that one. <laughs> Fourthly, difficulties. There is no doubting that Caleb faced difficulties. Like you and I, he experienced challenges from life's circumstances. Think about it. He was on the move for 40 years. He didn't own his own house. He had no running water. He had no car, probably not even a camel, nor savings. And he had to rely on God for his food each day. No club sandwiches. And most of his traveling companions were negative and hostile towards him. Numbers 14.10 tells us they threatened to stone him when he has spoken of his conviction that despite the so-called giants in the land, they could have and should have possessed what God had promised to them. Hey, I want to encourage someone here this morning. You've been making a stand in the workplace. You've become, got almost to the point where should you back off, but they haven't threatened to stone you. Stand firm, amen? You see, we too, in a different way, but in a similar way to Caleb, we too live in a world of a challenging time. As Christian believers, we're not immune from difficulties. We're, we are not promised, are we, an easy life as believers. As previously mentioned, Jesus said, in this world we will face trouble. The Greek word in the NIV translated as trouble in John 16, 33 that I'm quoting can also accurately be translated as pressures, oppression, stress, anguish, tribulation, distress. Anybody experiencing any of them? It's because you're living in a fallen world. In this world, we will experience difficulties of all kinds. But Jesus promised that in and through all such things, we can have peace. Throughout life's difficulties, friends, God, God's gift of peace. That peace which at such times surpasses all natural human understanding. In his letter to the church at Philippi, Paul says how he presses on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of him for. Christ Jesus saved you, each of you. He took hold of you for a specific purpose in this life. It's right that he didn't want heaven without you, but he's also got purposes for you in this life before you get to heaven. 
He has good works, the scripture tells us, prepared specifically for you. But this will be challenged. You may well experience setbacks. But through it all, I want to encourage you, whether you're the youngest here or the oldest here, don't settle or draw back from the things of, that God has put in your heart. Press on, take hold of what God has called you to do in his purpose. James, in his letter, in James chapter 1, urges us to consider as pure joy the trials and difficulties which we face because the testing of our faith through such things develops perseverance. And he says perseverance must finish its work so that we become mature and complete in Christ. There's a maturing of us which can only be accomplished through us persevering through difficulties of life which we will encounter. Friends, there's no alternative for us to become complete in Christ. We've got to learn to persevere. For perseverance, the scripture says, must finish its work in you. And James 1, however, promises in verse 12 that for those who do persevere through life's trials and temptations, we will be blessed because when we've stood the test, ultimately we're going to receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. Is there anyone here who loves him? Oh, Lord, just tell him. Just say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Our motivation is our love for him, but we can look forward to the day when we're going to receive the crown of life. And fifthly, distractions. In recognizing Jesus as the greater example than Caleb, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, urges us in running the course of our Christian life to lay aside every hindrance and the sins which could so easily trip you up personally and to run with perseverance with your eyes fixed on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith who, the scripture says, endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. Probably familiar verses to many of you. But I want you to note, we are not urged to fix our eyes on Jesus on the cross to help us to persevere, but Jesus, who is now seated and ruling from God's throne in heaven. You see, it wasn't just all those mentioned in Hebrews 11 who successfully ran the course of their life of faith to the finish and thus became a great company of witnesses to encourage us. But Jesus also ran his earthly race to the finish, including the most gruesome death of crucifixion. And thus, the resurrection Jesus is now seated in heaven, having completed his life's race. He completed his life's mission, declaring from the cross, it is finished. He died for you, friends. He died to take your sins, became a sin offering for you. He took your punishment. And Jesus is our supreme example, greater than Caleb, greater than any other example. He's our supreme example of perseverance through life's challenges, including rejection, suffering, and the most painful death known to man. The perseverance of Jesus through all that he experienced was far greater than that of Caleb. But Caleb was also undoubtedly a man who persevered throughout his life. Well, he was of a similar spirit. Now, 
I'm told, because you can see I don't do it personally, that it's one thing to run a 100 or 200 meters race. But Carl tells me it's quite different to run a marathon. Taking, say, three hours or so, it requires more effort and determination to run a marathon than a sprint. And the Christian life is generally more like a marathon. Paul speaks of training, straining rather, towards what is ahead in Philippians 3. To keep on persevering, friends, requires effort, but it's worth it, for we have a heavenly reward ahead of us. Now, I want to, however, to draw your attention to the word in Hebrews 12, verse 2, which in most translations of the Bible is translated to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because the Greek word from the original Greek text literally means to look away from all distractions so that you can fix your gaze on Jesus alone. And I want to ask this morning, what is distracting you from focusing your life on Jesus? What things do you need to look away from to focus more fully on Jesus? We don't know specifically what distractions Caleb faced, but we can be sure that like us, he would have faced some, including, I suspect, the constant moaning of his neighbors and the talk of the food back in Egypt, where I think they did have club sandwiches. Well, at least the salad. As believers, we all encounter potential distractions in this life. The enemy will seek to tempt you to deviate from the course which God has marked out for you. But people of a different spirit will deliberately choose to turn away from all temptations and distractions and to focus their gaze on Jesus who endured so much for us. And notice it is you gaze, you don't just take a glance. You focus on him. Such people love and serve him out of the revelation that he first loved them and gave his all for them. And so how can we give him any less than our all? But I want to pose the question, how is it that people of a different spirit like Caleb can persevere through all such challenges, through disappointments, through delays, through doubts, through difficulties, through the distractions? And I believe that the biggest factor from the life of Caleb is that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Caleb was wholehearted in his love for the Lord. He wasn't double-minded. Interestingly, David, King David, he prayed in Psalm 86 that the Lord would give him an undivided heart. He also understood uh, the, the, the issue, the importance of being wholehearted. The ability to persevere in the Christian life through all the challenges you experience, I honestly believe, begins with a wholehearted devotion to the Lord. People with a different spirit are different. They are people with an active faith, and thus they see differently, they speak differently, they support differently, and they submit differently. Let me just unpack that briefly for you. People of a different spirit see differently. Their perspective is different. They don't completely ignore the challenges ahead, but Caleb, sorry, but like Caleb, 
They believe that if God has promised, then he will enable them to do what he has said. Caleb and Joshua went into the same land and walked through the same places as the other ten spies. But what Caleb and Joshua saw was completely different to the other ten. The ten saw problems, but Caleb and Joshua saw possibilities. The ten saw defeat, but the other two saw their destiny. The ten saw naturally, but Caleb and Joshua saw supernaturally. What do you see? Do you see serious problems ahead for our nation? Or do you see an opportunity for the church to arise and for God to do something extraordinary during the challenging time that we're living in economically? What do you see ahead for Redeemer and our mission? Do you visualize the things that have been prophesied, which Hugh shared a couple of weeks ago? People with a different spirit see things differently. Their perspective is shaped by God's promises. Secondly, people of a different spirit speak differently. They don't ignore the challenges facing them, but their belief and confession is that if God has promised, then with his help it can be done. Those without such a spirit voice all the problems which, without acknowledging the potential of the situation with God's help. Numbers 13, 32 says how the ten spies spread among the congregation of Israel a bad report of what lay ahead. The translators of the somewhat old-fashioned King James Version now actually say it was an evil report. Their evil-inspired report negatively affected the whole congregation, which I would suggest is a reminder to us all of how our words can affect others, either for good or for bad. People of a different spirit realize that there's the power of life or death in our words. And they're careful how they speak. And of course, our words don't just affect other people. But as explained in James chapter 3, our words are like a rudder on a ship. They ultimately set our course. Having been negatively affected by the words of the ten spies, Numbers 14 tells us how the whole congregation of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, if only we died in Egypt or in this desert. And their words set their course. For God heard them, and he declared, recorded in verse 28 to 30, As surely as I live, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall, every one of you 20 years old or more, who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land except, (laughs) except, except those of a different spirit, Caleb and Joshua. Thirdly, people with a different spirit support differently. In their giving, they give generously, not grudgingly. In serving, they serve willingly, grateful for the opportunity to play even a small part in God's great mission. And people with a different spirit are also encouraging. We're told in Joshua 14, verse 8, that the negative report from the other ten leaders made the people's hearts sink. But Numbers 13.30 tells us how Caleb sought to encourage the whole congregation of Israel that they could possess the land which God had promised to them. He was an encourager, as was Joshua, who also had a similar spirit. Is your conversation, friends, inclined to cause people's hearts to sink? Or are you an encourager who lifts people's spirits? 
Because I can imagine that during their 40 years in the desert, there would have been times when Caleb and Joshua encouraged each other. There must have been days when Joshua thought, will we ever leave this desert? Maybe he even said to Caleb, did we really see and walk in that land flowing with milk and honey? And at such times, you can imagine that Caleb would have said to his friend Joshua, we definitely did, Joshua, and we're going to see it again. For God has promised, because he is a promise keeper. Ride in the darkness. People with a different spirit support differently, including supporting each other with words and actions of encouragement. If you are struggling to hold on to a promise God has made to you, I want to encourage you, find someone with a Caleb spirit who will support and encourage you and keep on believing. Fourthly, those with a different spirit don't submit to the pain and pressures of life as a wrestler might submit and give in to the pain being inflicted upon him, but they submit to God's ways and trust in his goodness and his promises. As recorded in Numbers 13.2, at the time of Moses, God's people Israel had been told by God he had given them the land. But when they saw the problems and challenges ahead, they forgot what God had said and they focused on what they saw and felt, what their physical senses told them. But people of a different spirit, like Caleb and Joshua, submit themselves to God's promises, not to their own perceptions or life pressures and problems. Caleb wasn't just an optimistic person, but a person who trusted God's word more than his own perceptions and circumstances. And if you are currently facing difficulties and challenges in your life, and I don't in any way belittle that at all, but I want to just lovingly remind you, and I remind myself as I do, remember the Bible tells us, regardless of our circumstances, God's promises are more reliable than our fears and feelings. After 45 years from when the Lord promised his people the land of Canaan, Caleb, having persevered in faith through the many challenges of his life, was still believing the Lord for the fulfillment of his promise. And he was asserting his claim for his share of God's promised blessing. As recorded in Joshua 14, he went to Joshua and reminded him of his inheritance, which God had promised to him through Moses. And verses 10 to 12 of Joshua 14 puts it like this, and I just love this. This is straight from the Scripture. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive 45 years since the time he said to Moses, so here I am today, 85 years old, that's not me, I am still strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country, or if you prefer the New King James Version, give me this mountain that the Lord has promised. You yourself, Joshua, heard that the Anadokites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but, oh, gee, shove. I love the buts in Scripture. I don't like the buts in churches because buts, goat, and sheep follow. But Sorry, you missed that joke. <laughs> but, he said, with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as God said. Hmm. 
Now, we need to understand that the land that Caleb was asking for at 85 years of age wasn't going to be the easiest to possess. It wasn't some unpopulated mountain with a few mountain goats living there. It included Hebron, a large fortified city with a history, in fact, quite similar to Colchester. And 40 years on, there were the same giants still occupying the land that had got to be conquered. And in Joshua 15, we're told it's recorded how Caleb did drive out those enemies with God's help that were occupying the city of Hebron. At 85 years of age, Caleb was still engaging in the battle to possess fully what God had promised. And sometimes, friends, we too have to battle in prayer to possess fully what God has promised, such as for your financial provision, or as we have done this morning, for healing. Caleb is a great example to us of how right through our entire life we need to persevere in warfare prayer to contend for all that God has promised. Not just for you personally, but also to fight for what he's promised to us corporately, even though for some of us that might not fully come about in our own lifetime. And so significantly, in Joshua 15, it is also recorded how Caleb gave his daughter some of the land as her inheritance. You see, people of a different spirit not only serve the Lord wholeheartedly in their own lifetime, but they also seek to leave a legacy, not necessarily of money or property, but a legacy by way of an example of faith and determination to serve the Lord wholeheartedly for all of their days, no matter what challenges come their way in this life. Their eyes are on the finishing line and the expectation of hearing the Lord himself say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of my rest. However, until then, I want to encourage, especially those of us that are a bit older in years in Redeemer Church, let's be people who seek to sow into the lives of those of other generations, whether they are with us for a long time or a short or just a few years being equipped to go and engage in the Lord's mission elsewhere, as Ben and Mika have done this year. Like Caleb, people with a different spirit persevere for the whole of their life. They don't let age or health limitations stop them from continuing to believe God to fulfill his promises. People like 84-year-old blind Peggy Smith and her 82-year-old sister Christine, crippled up with arthritis, who believed in response to their prayer burden for their community what God had promised when he said, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And so they pleaded, we're told from the history books, in prayer, night after night, week after week, in their little cottage in Barbas in the Hebrides Islands, for God to fulfill his promise. And when the time had fully come, in 1949, we're told an awareness of God swept the whole community, which was the start of the two-year-long Hebrides revival, with a recorded 20,000 people saved, wait for it, in the first five weeks alone. Oh God, we need you. And what about people like Billy Graham? 
who conducted 400 evangelistic crusades in 185 countries at which over 3 million people responded to give their lives to Christ. He too was persevering in old age and still preaching in his 80s. And what about our own Terry Virgo, who was one of the pioneers of the new church movement? He stood before you only a few weeks ago. He now is in his 80s and still persevering in the call of God on his life. These are examples of people of a different spirit. And with Christmas approaching, as I begin to draw the threads together, there are also the examples of Anna and Simeon in the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 tells us how at 84 years of age, Anna worshipped, fasted, and prayed night and day. She couldn't do much. Some of you can't come and put the chairs out on a Sunday, but Anna worshipped, fasted, and prayed night and day. And as a result, she was in the right place at the right time to speak about the baby Jesus being the promised redeemer to all who were at the Jerusalem temple when Jesus was brought there at 40 days old. And on that same occasion, not to leave the men out, Simeon, who for years had been waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise, he literally, physically took hold of God's promise to him. We're told how he was moved by the Holy Spirit and thus went into the temple courts at just that right time. He was sent sensitive to the nudgings, the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And Luke 2, 12, 27 tells us how he took Jesus literally into his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You see, the Lord had promised Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's promised Messiah. And the Lord has promised me that I'll see another move of God before I die. And so to the best of my ability, health permitting, I'm going to continue to seek to serve him wholeheartedly. For I want to be counted among those who are people of a different spirit. How about you? Have you seen with the eyes of your heart what Simeon saw with his physical eyes? God's provision of salvation in the person of Jesus. Have you surrendered your life to him? Are you totally devoted to him? I or are you half-hearted in your love for him? I want to encourage every single person here this morning, either for the first time or for the umpth time, make a fresh consecration to him and seek to be counted as those who are of a different spirit and who make a difference in God's kingdom purposes at this challenging time in our world. The worship team are going to help us as we respond in song. I'm going to hand back to Hugh. But some, your response, you know, a couple of years ago, we were looking at not just responding with, with words and song, but also with our actions, our postures. And some, you might just want to kneel. Others, you might want to lift your hands, not in adoration this time, but in surrender. Some... It might be helpful for you. You might want to make the prophetic action. You actually want to come forward. You want to, as it were, make this place an altar of a fresh consecration as we sing, Lord, I give you my heart. I live for you alone. 
And if you're making that prayer for the first time today, come and make yourself known to Hill or myself or one of the other elders. We'd just love to pray with you and help you take your next steps as a person of a different spirit.